part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Does everybody know what an asterisk is? You know, you can use it for a kind of positive or negative, but you're making a notation that something is different. Uh, for example, I'm a, I'm a baseball purist, so uh, Barry Bonds home run record, asterisk, okay? Uh, Hank Aaron, you know, he did it without drugs, without, you know, different things to kind of help. So, you know, you put an asterisk there to, for clarification. Did he still hit more home runs? Yes, but you're going, there's something a little bit different. There's something that's a little bit, you know, that cannot be characterized in, in the normal fashion. Well, this morning, this sermon is going to have an asterisk by it, Okay. Uh, you know that we've been preaching through the book of James, and we took a little diversion there for two weeks as we uh, for Father's Day uh, for the parable of the, of the father of two sons. And you can't preach about the prodigal if you don't preach. Uh, really, the, the emphasis of that parable is the elder son. And so we took two days, uh, two weeks off, and we just got back into James just last week. And here we're going to kind of dive back out of that again this morning, just for a week. Um, and, and you can blame it on me. Sitting there Friday and uh, just overwhelmed in my quiet time of just all that's happening in our nation. And, you know, some things God just lays on your heart on a personal way, and it's for you. It's to challenge you. And other times as a pastor or as a father or as a mother, as a parent, as a leader, whatever it might be, it's not just a message for you, but it's certainly a message that those that are under your influence. And I just couldn't get away from the fact that this is something that... Uh, uh, that not only should I share this morning, but uh, but I do that with, as I told uh, my son-in-law and daughter at the breakfast table, I deal with a little bit of fear and trepidation because, you know, most of the time I can stand before you and say, this morning I totally plagiarized this sermon because hopefully it came right out of the Word of God and all we did was repeat what God has already said and we've just kind of expanded upon it. But this morning it's a little bit different and it's not so much an expository sermon but it's kind of a thought process of what God was laying on my heart. See, Friday I found myself sad. And uh, yeah, you can say there was a, maybe a little bit of Madden in there, but, but mostly it was just sad. And, and uh, asking the question, will this ever end? I'll be totally transparent with you that after the first shooting, uh, uh, I guess a week and a half ago, I didn't ask that. And that is scary in and of itself because why are we not, why are we numb to the fact that there would be a shooting and that we wouldn't be troubled over it? And so that was kind of, you know, a testimony. Oh my goodness, is, have we become a society that has grown numb to these stories? Then the second shooting happened and then Thursday, the, the police shooting there in Dallas. And, and I found myself sad and very, very troubled and, and tired. And I don't know if you've experienced that this week but just tired. And, and I was tired of the rants and raves of people with no repentance. The rants and raves on Facebook and Twitter. And, and we all have opinions, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later on. But you just get tired. I found myself tired of what celebrities think about this. That just because you star in a show that somehow you have a, a, a soapbox to get up and, and somehow that validates you know, your opinion all over these other opinions. I'm just really frustrated and very tired and, and, and tired maybe most of the political opportunists that take tragedy 
And no matter what side of the political spectrum you find yourself on, that they try to capitalize for their efforts and for their political progress at the expense of the tragedy of other people's lives. And I just don't understand the humanity in that. That's just, that saddened me. I was tired of it. But most of all, I was tired because it seems as a people, as a world, that, that nobody is focusing on the real problem. And maybe, again, you can disagree with so much of this because so much of this is is just God's impact and his spirit's impact on my heart and my life. But guys, we don't have a cultural problem. We don't have an education problem. We don't have a political problem. We don't have an economic problem. All of those things really do muddy the water a little bit. We have a spiritual problem. And and when we try to solve it through politics or education, again, I'm not saying that those don't have a a place in it, you know, to to help guide people. But at the heart of this is is not that, okay, if we elect the right person, this will solve itself. Or if we put enough money in education, this will happen. Or if everybody was doing better economically, we wouldn't have this frustration. Folks, it's a sin problem. It's the depravity of man. See, until we have, I really believe that until we have a good grip on man's sinfulness, it won't matter if you think black lives matter, blue lives matter, all lives matter. Until we see the enormity of, of the, the problem, that it's not just something that happens in cities or in that city or this race or that race, that it really is all of our problems. It's the fallenness of man. And this fall, as we call it, uh, happened really early on. I tell you all the time that, you know, half the sermons I ever preach, we're going to go back to Genesis 3. So I guess where we're going to go back this morning, Genesis chapter 3, because that's where we really begin to see, you know, the trouble stirring among mankind. God had placed Adam and Eve in a place of perfection where everything was perfect. And he put on them just yet one restriction, do not eat of this tree. And they were compliant to that. They were trusting in God's law and provision until one day that they really wanted to kind of stretch that and color outside of that and follow their own will rather than the will of God. We call that theologically the fall. And we call it the fall because it wasn't just kind of a little bent in the day. It wasn't just kind of a little twist to the norm. No, they went from perfection to sinners. To those that could sit there and talk to a holy God, to one that had to hide from a holy God. This wasn't just kind of a little change in temperature that, okay, it was 76 degrees, and then it went down to 75 or 74. The drastic thing that happens in Genesis chapter 3 changed the world as we know it forever. From that point on, mankind has been fallen in sin. We were born in sin. The Bible makes it very clear that none of us were were outside of sin, that the sin nature is very much a part of our our birth and and our existence from the very, very beginning. And we see that it has immediate and tragic results. Not only do they break fellowship with a holy God and they begin to hide from God, but it breaks even kind of gives tension to the to the fellowship between Adam and Eve. And then they have children, the Bible tells us in in Genesis chapter four. And we see that they bring two sons into this world, Cain and Abel. And we see from the very beginning that this sin isn't just, okay, we had a bad day. But it really scars their hearts. 
gives them a whole new, another way of, of approaching life, and that is from a self point of view. And early on, here we are, just three pages into the Bible, just four chapters into the Bible, and we see the unthinkable. We see a brother taking the life of another brother. See, the thought process sometimes that we can fall into is that, man, how can the world get any worse? And, and I think sometimes that is the deceptive thought process because, folks, the world, ever since the fall, has been a pretty rotten place. We don't have to go that far into this before we begin to see sin really take a, a toll on relationships between one another. Uh, Genesis 4.8, again, look. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. I mean, I don't know what page of the Bible you're on, but we're only four chapters into this magnificent story of God, and, and already just after this fall, this taint of sin, this uh, dominion of sin now that they live in, we see two brothers, one taking the life of another. And it doesn't get better after that. It's not like they learn and say, man, we, we can't do this. We see that continue on so that by the time that we get to Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, we find one of the saddest, most revealing verses in all the Bible. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, what it says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. What does the Bible say? Does it say that we have a political problem, a cultural problem, educational problem, an economic problem? It says, man, we have a heart problem. That in this fall, our heart, that's the problem. And so we begin to see this devastation that happens so much so that, you know, what makes this so sad is, you know, if you read on there, God brings judgment and he is just to do that. He's deserving to do that. The wrath of God, folks, is not an evil thing. It is a just thing. You say, well, I just don't believe in a God that should be so mean. No, he's a just God. And when there's offense against God, he is just and bringing punishment to that, and bringing judgment to that. And here we are just a few pages into the Bible, the creation of man, the scattering of man over the face of the earth, and we see God from heaven looking down and say, okay, I'm going to start this over. Can you imagine? I mean, that's a whole other sermon about what it means that God regretted that he made man. And I don't want to get into it today because it's, it's a, I don't want to say super complicated, but it's not, it's not the kind of regret that you and I have. God knows all things, so it's not like he, he's looking in the background going, ah, you know, I didn't think of that. God knows all things. So it's a little bit more complicated. We're not going to touch upon that this morning. But just kind of grasp for a moment that God looks upon this earth. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, it, it, it says that this depravity of sin, this mankind is so evil that all they have in their heart is this wickedness. And God says, okay, I'm going to bring judgment against them. I'm going to create a flood that, that kind of just puts the world on restart. I start there this morning because I think there's always a temptation for us to believe that we live in the most evil day ever. And we have a lot of evidence to kind of give us that thought process. I'll never forget one day of, of uh, 
working with a lot of senior adults, and these were people that have the wisdom of 70 and 80, um, one of their even 90-plus years. And I asked, I said, you know, here I am, a younger guy, not a young guy, but a younger guy. And I said, you know, you know, if we look to our day and age, going, man, the end must be near. Have you ever thought that? You look at the world around you, you're going, the end must be here. I said, and I said, give me a little wisdom here. Did y'all used to think that 30 or 40, 50 years ago? And some of them said, yes, there were plenty of things in the historical settings that would give us that. And some of them would cite something like, you know, the rise and fall of, of Hitler or the rise of Hitler and, you know, different things that were just, you know, of, of such a magnitude that, hey, we thought it was going to be the end of the world. Surely the end times are coming. I, I, perhaps every generation, folks, have had some similar thoughts like that all the way back to chapter, Genesis chapter 6. And so the first thing that we see that this is not just a problem of society, because if we just try to say, okay, it's all about us and we're just really unhappy with how things are, then it becomes a social problem. It becomes a problem that, no, this is a heart problem. This is a spiritual problem. And it started in Genesis chapter 3 and it continues on to this day. That's a very important point for us to understand all the tragedies that we face and what's happening in our world biblically and not emotionally, socially, or politically. How many of y'all have an opinion? Yeah. Yeah. And how many times do we have opinions formed by the word of God rather than economics, politics, background, culture, and different things? I'm not saying that those things are entirely wrong. I'm just saying, as a Christian, as a believer in Christ, would you not want your basis of belief in your system of the way that you live your life to be lived out from Scripture? Instead of culture? I would think so. I would think that that's what we want a, a, not a cultural basis. Hey, I lived in 2016 and this was what go, was going on. I, I mean, we could easily look back in the history of man and say, man, back in the 60s and 70s, remember the Vietnam War? And, and this is what was happening. Soldiers were coming back and they were you know, being bombarded by protesters. Terrible. All kinds of cultural things going on there. Part of historical fact. But don't we want to respond to life and the life that you and I live scripturally instead of just culturally? And in order to do that, that's where we have to be able to see this. We see that there has been times throughout the history of man where the depravity, the sinfulness of man is just rampant. I mean, you don't have to go that far into Genesis. Have you heard of Sodom and Gomorrah? And so Abraham comes back and, you know, Abraham goes to God and says, you know, God, you know, I know that, yes, you are a God of wrath and a God of judgment and and you are rightly so. You're a holy God, but I know that you're also a holy God. And so if there are 50 righteous people in this enormous city, will you spare the city? And God says, yes. Abraham couldn't find 50 righteous people. He goes down to 45, he goes down to 40, I think he goes down to 20. I mean, he goes down, maybe, is it 10? I I forget all the exact numbers there, but he keeps on whittling down, and they can't find it. Folks, this is not about us, just individuals, and the day and the time that we're living in. This is mankind, and this is... uh, the, the state of humanity in our sinfulness. It has been from the very beginning. That fact that man is inherently sinful is not good news. And left with only that fact, you and I would have much to fear. 
I've kind of, since my girls are a little bit older, and I don't have grandchildren yet, I'm in that in-between stage that, okay, they're, they're there and we've raised them and I think they have the foundation of the scripture to guide them, but I can only imagine if I had young children or when I begin to have grandchildren. I can only imagine that if I don't get a biblical perspective on this, fear and trepidation, how do we raise children in such an arena of, 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 of these things happening? And perhaps that has even crossed your mind in, in the last couple of days. But we begin to see this, and we see this bad news. And yet in the midst of this darkness that happens, there's two words that we begin to see starting in Genesis 8.1, and then we see it about 50 times throughout the Bible. It's two little words, one little phrase, but God. In the midst of this darkness and these bleak pictures of humanity, we have this little phrase, but God, and then it goes on to tell us what God is doing in response to that and what God is doing even in the light of that. We see the first one happen right there in Genesis. God says, okay, I, I, I'm going to flood the world. I'm going to bring judgment and wrath, a, a right kind of judgment, fully justified in doing what he was doing. And, and he brings that to mankind. And look what it says in Genesis 8.1. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the water subsided. In the midst of this deserved judgment, God showed undeserved grace and love. Now, now real quickly, guys, oftentimes we'll take this story and we think that Noah, we make Noah the hero. He's not the hero here. God is the hero. Noah did not approach God. God approached Noah. God, in his grace, went to Noah And Noah did become obedient to the call that God placed on his earth, I mean, on on his life. And he was obedient to that. But but it's not like Noah goes, okay, I have the solution. We don't see a righteousness in Noah. What we see is the righteous God giving grace to Noah, giving him the ability, and he does correspond, and and he's responsible for the task that was given. In the midst of darkness, but God. In the midst of what we deserve in judgment, we see but God. And we see this throughout the Bible. Perhaps the but God phrase that, that captures my heart. One of them was uh, in Mackenzie's verse today, my, my life verse. But God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Paints the picture of who we are, but it says, but God still sent his son. But maybe the, the ultimate one is when Paul was talking to the Ephesians and kind of in the same way that he was talking to the Romans. So turn to Ephesians chapter 2 and I want you to see the contrast of this before and after picture so that we don't get this false idea that we are living in the worst of times and no other times have seen this great depravity of man like we see today. Uh, granted, it is vicious out there. It is violent. It is wicked. But these are not the first times historically that that mankind has found himself in this wickedness. And what Paul wanted the Ephesians to see is, okay, really, that's your life story. 
Now, I don't know that any, I mean, I don't know everybody's life story in here, but I don't know that too many of us would say, yes, I am a proven criminal. I actually have you know, served time. I've been incarcerated for this, that, and the other, and I've done this. And uh, miraculously, God has saved me, and this is my life before, and this is my life after. Well, we actually like those kind of testimonies when we see the miraculous. But what Paul wants us to understand as he begins to write in Ephesians chapter 2 is that if you're a Christian, if you've put your faith and trust in Christ, I want you, he said, I want you to know that is your story. You may have never served time. You may have never killed somebody. You may have never done this, that, and the other. But I want you to know here's your status before spiritually. And here was your only hope, the hope of the grace of Jesus Christ. Look what he says, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. This part of the former condition, the before story. He says, and you were what? Dead in your trespasses. Now, now again, when we go out, I mean, do you really see yourself, your, your status before Christ? If you're a Christian, if you put full faith and trust in Christ, did you, I mean, really, when you describe yourself, have you always had that understanding that that's who you were before? I mean, I've come to understand that. And it's not that Paul is not trying to hurt our feelings. He just wants to show us the miracle of salvation in Jesus Christ. So he says, I, I want you to get this clear picture. You weren't sick. You didn't have the flu. You didn't have a comatose state. Man, you were dead. You were dead in your sin. And then he goes in verse 2. In which you once walked, following the course of this world. In other words, we were followers, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. He's not trying to discourage him. It's just the opposite. He wants them to know how far God has brought them. If you were dead in your sins, if that was your status beforehand, he's about to tell us what God has done for them. Now, again, he's writing to believers. This is not for all of humanity. He's writing to believers. Those who truly trusted in the work of Christ, and now it has been the, the work of Christ has been imparted to their life. Look what it says, Ephesians two three. Part of that former picture, and were by nature the children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. I mean, that just sounds like old preaching, there, doesn't it? Man, we used to have that kind of preaching when I was growing up every week, and I did too. Here's the unfortunate part. I heard all that part, <laughs> and we usually didn't get the, the best part. We, get, we got about how bad we were, and so every week, every Sunday, I would leave church kind of like, my goodness, you know, I, I don't know that I could get much worse, even though my parents were convinced I could. <laughs> never got the rest of the story. never got the good news. I got the, the real news of, of where I was. just didn't get the good news. And so Paul continues, and look what he says in verse 4 and 5. What's the first two words? But God. shows this dark, dismal story of who you, you and I were. People, people that did not have a future, did not have a promise on our own. We were following the rest of mankind. I don't know about you, but you know, I, I really, I've always been what I thought was kind of a nice guy. And my parents taught me to be respectful. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Thank you. And honestly, I did not really grow up thinking that I was verse 1, 2, and 3. I could point out some kids that I thought were. But I didn't really always see myself in that light. Paul's not trying to do this to 
deflate us or discourage us. He's trying to encourage us. He said, I want you to know, here was your real status before, and here's what has happened. Verse 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And look what he says in this after picture in verse 6. He says, And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This phrase, but God, you'll find it throughout the Bible. You'll find it in times when it looks dark and then all of a sudden the intervention of God comes in and he brings light and hope. He brings life where there was death. Now, you may be wondering, what, Bobby, what does this have to do? You know, yeah, I see this in the scripture. This is good. It's, but what does this have to do with the recent situations in Louisiana and Minnesota and Texas? What is this little phrase, but God? How, how does that kind of connect here? Well, this is where I'm praying that you see the connection that I saw Friday in my quiet time. And that you don't leave here going, the boy has lost it. If you were not convinced of that before. Here's, there's three things that God was laying upon my heart for me personally and, and perhaps for us as a body of believers. Number one, lamenting and sadness is appropriate not only for the people involved in these situations, but for the sinfulness of man. I don't know if you've cried tears. I don't know if you have... If you've experienced the same sadness as these things have happened, but lamenting, true biblical lamenting, being broken, or have we become numb to it? I mean, I confess that, you know, after the, the first shooting last week, it, it unfortunately didn't even kind of get on the register because we hear it all the time. You know, until there's a repeat in a close proximity, it's like, okay, man, this really is a problem. Until we see the devastation that happened Thursday night, that we're just kind of overwhelmed. Biblically, as God's people, lamenting is very proper. Lamenting is, is sadness, it's brokenness. And in the Old Testament, you even have a book of the Bible called Lamentations. They're just broken over the situation of Israel. But it wasn't just because of individual situations. Rightly so, we should weep and mourn. I, I mean, Folks, I don't know about you, but to know that there's five young families out there that are without dads because they were just doing their job and their job was even to protect. To know that because of skin color, you might be uh, even that much more a, a target or, a, you know, to, 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 to the violence or, or decision-making... We live in a very unpredictable world. That, that's sad stuff. And so the first thing that God was putting in my heart is that lamenting and sadness for individuals, for these families is right. But where is our lamenting over the lost condition of the world? I mean, truly lamenting that we live in a sinful world with sinful people. Folks, I promise you, biblically speaking, these are not black, white issues, gay, straight issues. These are hard issues. It's a hard issue. And God helps us in the day when the sinfulest man no longer breaks our heart. I mean, God help us 
if we just don't become lamenters and weepers over those things. That's the first thing. The second thing, quickly, in the midst of despair, there is hope. If you have grown tired, if you have grown worn out, if you have found yourself asking that question, when will this ever end? Well, we know biblically that there will be a day of reckoning, that there's going to be a day coming, that the end of the world will come. But, but in, even now, there's, in the midst of all this, there is hope. That phrase, but God, has been written about the darkest times, not just of history, but of mankind. And even when it looked as though God should, and maybe even perhaps did, abandon them, we see these words spring up. Remember a guy in the Bible, Joseph? If you ever think you've just had a really bad, you know... Uh, day and somebody didn't treat you fairly, go compare your life to Joseph. I mean, this guy, again, I'm not saying that he's the hero of the story. God is the hero of the story. But Joseph is a man who's trying his best to do what is righteous and right. He continues to do it. And every time he gets the stick, it's the short end of the stick. The very end of his life, the very end of his life, I think he lived, what, to be 100 years old, 110 years old? At the very end of his life, this is what Joseph says in Genesis fifty twenty. His brothers are there and they've come, you know, and he could be angry about his brothers because they're the ones that sold him into slavery and they, you know, they just didn't treat him, you know, with any respect whatsoever. They did just the, the, the worst for him. And yet here he is as an older man. He's looking back on his life and he's surrounded by his family. And look what he says. As for you, you meant evil against me. And then we see those words, but God meant it for God. One of the biggest dangers of our current society is to become the victim. And it's understandable if we just look in, in terms of society. I just don't think it's biblical, guys. And I would be so wrong as your pastor to, to allow you to take on victimization. And I'm not saying that there's not injustice is done. Please don't hear that we are in a world where injustice and injustice doesn't happen. It happens every day. And it's affected some of you and it's affected me. And we're not saying, but we're just not victims. To, to be a victim means that somehow God is not sovereign, that God is not in control, that God cannot take even the most evil things and work it for good. That is not making little of the hurts of your life. There are things that you have faced in your life that would blow me away. And the world would be the first to say, man, you're a victim of, of this. And yet, I don't want to define my life by the world's terms. I want to define my life biblically. And if my God is sovereign, it doesn't mean that he's uncaring. It doesn't mean that he's unpowerful. What it means is he's not finished. And that this evidence right here, that Joseph, at the end of his life, when he, out of everybody that we see biblically as a man, I was just kind of a victim of some really bad circumstances there. I tried, but man, I always came up short. And yet he says at the end, you know, this was meant for evil, but God, but God meant it for good. What was the good that he was talking about? That here his brothers, the lineage that eventually would lead to Christ, the gospel story, the lineage and the covenant that God connected from Abraham all the way through Jesus Christ has a connection there and they didn't die in the desert because they were hungry, but that God had made provision. It's like one of those movies, you know, man, I didn't see that coming. 
And Joseph, at the end of his life, I'm not saying that he's, you know, when he was thrown in jail because he ran away from Potiphar's wife, I don't know that that night he was going, you know, (laughs) you meant it for evil, but man, I know God is using this for good. Man, that night I think he's going, God, where are you and what in the world are you doing? And we're going to have days like that. But do you want to define your life by a day, by a circumstance, by a culture, or by the living word of God? Based on the sovereignty of God. That's the choice that you and I have to make. Third thing that God laid upon my heart. If Christ is the answer, then the church needs to take the lead in the path of reconciliation. We are not observers going, you know, this is how it should be. As the body of Christ, as salt in a world, and as light in the darkness, you and I are to pave the way, not in theory, but in action. Do you know that one of the first things that God connected with your new birth in Him, in Christ Jesus, if you're a Christian here this morning, if you put your trust and faith in the work of Christ, in Christ alone, do you know one of the first things that God connected to you as a new creation in Christ Jesus? Look in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, you've probably heard this first verse, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old is past. Behold, the new has come. How many of you like that verse? Amen. The pen is not even dry in the writing of Paul being inspired by the Spirit. And look what he says in verse 18. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Here's what's happened to you. Now look what it says. And gave us what? The ministry of reconciliation. Part of this whole new identity that you have in Christ? I mean, immediately he doesn't say, now go home and a couple years come back and I'll give you a kind of, you know, something to do. He says, man, you are a brand new creation in Christ. This miracle of God has happened in your life. Mackenzie is this brand new creation in Jesus Christ. And immediately, Mackenzie, he says, okay, now I want you to be a minister of reconciliation. He says, man, this is a part of your new identity as a Christian. As a follower of Jesus, you, you are a minister of reconciliation. And, and we could kind of say, okay, we're just going to start loving people really good. But he wants us to love out loud. Because if you go to the next verse, not only does he say that we are the ministry of reconciliation, he said you are to carry the message of reconciliation. In other words, we're not silent about this. This is who we are as the body of Christ. As a Christian, I want to say this right, and I hope you hear it right. If not, call me this week. <laughs> we'll get some coffee and clarify anything that I stumble over. When I became a Christian, guys, God didn't take my opinions away. But what I've found out a lot about my opinions is a lot of that's based on Bobby. And if we truly, you know, our, our theme for the year is Galatians 2.20, that we're going to be crucified in Christ. And, and if we're dead to ourselves and so that we can live in Christ, you know what happens to about 90% of my opinions then? 
They need to be crucified with Christ. That includes what I tweet. That includes what I write on Facebook. That includes what I would put on Instagram. It includes, you know, if, if we're the carriers of this message, something is seen. And, and so a lot of times I may have the feeling about this and sometimes some pretty strong feelings. I mean, if you want me to start ranting right now about politics, I can go for the next six weeks. <laughs> God doesn't invalidate those in, in the sense that you know those are true feelings that I might have based on my background based on what my daddy taught me and all those kind of things it's not that there's not semblance of something that would be right or wrong about those things but have they been filtered through the gospel of Jesus Christ does, does that make sense that sometimes we as Christians, as the body of Christ, we've got to be very, very careful about what we put out there for public to see because if, if, if we've identified with Christ and they know that we've identified with Christ and yet they read this, they're going, okay, is that a Christian view? No, that's just Bobby's warped view because he didn't die to Christ today when he wrote that. He was just kind of angry about this. And what we end up with is rants and raves and, and really no repentance. And so I challenge you, as I challenge myself, as we go out as messengers of reconciliation, as we go out there and we display our opinions, will you wash it in the gospel? We're going to see in James in a couple of weeks, words are powerful things and they can build up or they can tear down. They can bless and they can curse. And so we just need to be careful. And that's why we just go out there and we just need to, to love on those folks and to be a demonstrator of love. Not love in the uh, generic sense of, man, we just need to be more loving. No, in the gospel sense of death to self, life in Christ. I no longer live but Christ Jesus lives in me. What a big challenge for my pride, for my opinionated mind and heart that needs to be continually transformed by the word of God. I admit that. I told the praise team this morning, I'm one of the most proud men I know. And I do not say that pridefully. I say that as confession. I'm amazed at my pride sometimes. Are you ever amazed at your sinfulness? You just go, man, how can a man of God ever even think that? And so that's where we just come and we just go, okay, God, that's not the man I am anymore. This is the man you've created me. And will you help me now to have a life and words and a message that fit new life in Christ Jesus? That will be the biggest challenge of Mackenzie's life and every young believer's life is not just to have a moment with God and a, a moment. I mean, we've all been there before. Many of us have been there where, you know, we, we trusted Christ. We got baptized. It's such a special moment. But now there's a whole lifetime out there. And that's where we have a responsibility to you, Mackenzie, to help mom and dad and grandparents and family and friends to surround you with the love of the gospel, an example of the gospel. And that's what really what church is all about is that we're just supposed to love on you really good. 
So there's a challenge before us. How do we respond in a world like this, guys? The Bible says we are to be ministers of reconciliation, carrying the message of reconciliation. And one of the things that brings great, great joy to my heart this morning, let's leave on a very high note, is from the minute that I came to this church almost a year ago, I saw the diversity of people in every aspect, and I saw a body of love. And you've impressed me day after day, week after week, month after month, with your genuine Christ-like love. And I applaud you well, because you have inspired me and you have encouraged me in that. I just say, guys, there is a world out there in need of what we have in here. And this is our call. Let's pray. Father, we live in a world that is so easy to get tired and discouraged. And yet, Father, we see that we are not the first ones to ever live in such a world, Father, that we, you've called us, Father, in the midst of this. There's not a surprise that has happened. There's nothing that has caught you off guard. Your word is living and breathing and relevant to what we face in, in the trying times of this day. Father, my mind goes to those families this past week. two young men with families and father we we can find ourselves with all kinds of opinions of the, well this should have happened well here's the real story father break us over that there's two young lives that may not have known you as Lord and Savior and now they face a destiny of perhaps apart from you father break us to know that five men we're just doing their calling, their duty, serving the community. Leave behind families and friends and loved ones. Father, help us to weep and lament on the lostness of man. But Father, then you bring us up off our knees just as you did Joshua. When Joshua was lamenting over how he had sinned in his own life and you said, get up, Joshua, and you go and you do what I've called you to do. And Father, help us to be on our knees. Help us to weep. Help us to lament. But Father, you pick us up off of our knees too and you send us out as ministers of reconciliation, as with the ministry of reconciliation. Father, help us to go out and truly take the love of Christ into a darkened world so that there would be others that would say, but God, but God, for that is my story. Lost in my sin, blinded, but now I see. Not of some favorable thing that I did in my own life, but God sent his son for a sinner such as I. We love you, Father. We just want this world to know the beauty of what you've done in our lives and the gift that you have given us, the grace you've bestowed, and and we just want to follow in that. So we love you, Father. Thank you. Leave us now a time of reflection, commitment, prayer, and uh, let us leave this place, Father, today, full of your spirit. As we pray all this in Christ's name, amen. today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, 
you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.